Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live with the Lortel. For season three, we are focusing on the intersection of arts and advocacy. So many off-Broadway artists give back to their communities. This season, we are giving them the opportunity to speak about how and why they chose the causes they devote themselves to and how those causes help them make them the people and artists they are today. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Live at the Lortel. I've missed everybody a lot, and I've missed the show. Well, we've only been gone a week, but I've missed everyone a lot. Let's bring in our co-host, my dear friend, Joy Michelle. Hi, Joy. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm so excited to have our <laughs> guest. I've been, she's been on my list for two years, and we've been waiting for the pandemic and everything to kind of calm down so she can introduce her show and we can talk about it. Sass Goldberg is a New York-based actress, writer, producer, mother, wife, and business owner who is currently in rehearsals for Which Way to the Stage at MCC Theater. Sass made her Broadway debut in Significant Other by Josh Harmon and can be seen alongside Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd in the Apple series The Shrink Next Door and Amy Schumer's Hulu series Life and Beth. As a writer, Sass is currently a co-producer writing in the room for the upcoming fifth season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She is a strong supporter of female-founded businesses and fostering female voices entering the typically male-dominated world of neon design. Ladies and gentlemen, my Instagram friend, Sass Goldberg. What an intro. Hi. Yeah, well, well, hi. Look Thanks at this. Here we here. are. It's happening. It's happening. We're live at the Lortel. Live at the Lortel. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. I feel like it's taken forever. Here. I know, because it has taken forever. It so has, yeah. I stalked you after Moscow, 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 Moscow. Remember, I was waiting for you by the stage door. I, you remember, that was very generous of you. Yes, and I was like, <laughs> you weren't scared, though. I wasn't um, scared. No, I was yeah, Jewish, Jewish boy, Jewish girl, we don't get scared of each other. Thank so you. Everything I see you in, you're always so wonderful, and especially that show, where Natasha takes that incredible arc and you just were. Thank you. Well, Hallie's writing and everything Hallie, about that. Genius. I mean, another genius. But, you know, while, while we're talking about it, let's talk about, you know, MCC is now open and theaters are starting to open with masks. And you are now in the second week of rehearsal for Which Way to the Stage at MCC. Let's talk a little bit about which way to the stage and I how it came to you and everything about the show. Yeah, I've been involved in the show for quite some time now. The playwright, Anna, is a friend of mine. And I did, I think, maybe one of the first readings of it in 2017, 2018. And then we did it in California, a workshop of it in 2019. And we really thought it was going to happen in 2020. We were all set to go. I think you know how the end of the sentence goes. Cut to <laughs> no show, no theater, pandemic, world shutdown, and some really scary stuff playing out. And we were really lucky enough to be reprogrammed once the theater was opening. And so this has been a long time in the making. We've kind of all been chomping at the bit to start again. So I sort of cannot believe that this is my job right now. It's one of those moments that I cannot believe that this is what I'm being paid to do. It sounds idiotic. If you could tell... 14-year-old Sass, 10-year-old Sass, this is what she'd be doing. She wouldn't believe you. 
Honestly, twenty nine year olds ask. <laughs> That's incredible. So I feel really I mean this in the full sense of the word. I feel so grateful for this experience. I don't want I don't want to like miss any moment of it, if that makes sense. I want to like there's a moment in and this is such a random reference, the office, the series, the American yeah. series. There's a moment when Jim and Pam are getting married and he kind of takes like little visual snapshots so he can remember each thing and they're like pretend snapshots and I feel like every moment in rehearsal I'm just like, you know, I'm doing snapshots. If you're listening, I'm taking snapshots to remember everything <laughs> remember everything every I moment. remember this moment i remember when i used the cup and i used the wrong cup <laughs> <laughs> so the the premise of the play is that you are waiting outside the richard rogers theater for a performance of if then and you are fans yeah it's of two the best show friends. it's two best friends stage during a theater to get a very specific autograph and their friendship is changed through the course of the play but it really ultimately is about friendship and it's a love story to friendship and it's very a word beshared means meant to be that i am doing it with my best friend from high school max jenkins he was my prom date so it's like and a crazy oh, story isn't wow. that wild <laughs> Wow. That's that's incredible. So, okay, I'm curious to know how that came about. Were you asked to do it or like Fresh, we, the whole we were, story? We were paired to, I mean, so I know Anna, the playwright from like One Walk of Life. I think we met when we were like maybe 21, like sort of just beginning our careers in New York. And Max and Anna went to theater camp together. So they've known each other since they were like, 13. Stage and door? I went to stage door. They went oh, to okay. Woods. Oh. There's, you know, some serious rivalry happening there. <laughs> and then <laughs> me, uh, Max and I went to LaGuardia, the high school performing arts in yep. New York. And we were, I remember, I literally remember the moment that I saw him, he had a one shoulder sort of incredible backpack. And I was like, who's that guy? And, yes. uh, and he was my prom date. I mean, that is a true, that's not like me kind of embellishing a story or putting bells and whistles on. That's an accurate detail. I love it. And you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a show or even sometimes like fabricated friendship or manufactured friendship. You you sort of can feel like allergic to that a little bit. I feel very lucky that I've known this person since I was 13 years old. So the chemistry is there. I mean, you hope so. If not, we're going to have them see Starring your other best friend, Gideon Glick. Married him. Yes, correct. You married him. Well, you were the... Him and his husband, right, correct, exactly. Oh, I did. Um, yeah, that's right, right, okay. Wow. I love the play, then it came to Broadway. I did. And you had your Broadway premiere. But I'm more interested in, I love the part of Kiki. Me too. I think Kiki is, probably lives in you somewhere. Oh, for sure. I grew up in Roslyn, Long Island, so oh, I know Kiki. Did? I know Kiki very well. This Kiki has a heart of gold. Many of the Kikis I grew up with do not. Sorry, Rosalind, but the <laughs> I know I would love to talk Rosalind. about what significant other meant to you and the relationship that you created with Gideon and the rest of the cast. Yeah, I'm really close with that cast. I'm really close with that creative team. That was a really special experience. Another sort of one of those things that kind of talking about the catapulting, I had met Josh at auditions for uh, a different play of his that didn't go my way and went back to all the other jobs I was having and, you know, put that audition away and say goodbye to it. And then Josh reached out to me at the time on Facebook and was like, I have another play 
it is very long right now. I don't know what it's going to be or what shape it's going to be in, but would you ever, getting a few actors together, would you ever read one of the roles? And I was like, of course. And it it was what ultimately ended up being Significant Other. So that first reading was maybe, I don't know, 2011. And then we did workshop after workshop, kind of similar to Which Way to the Stage, but in a, um, a different sort of iteration. And then the cast really came together. And that experience was... I, I can't believe that show came to Broadway. I, 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 don't, I don't like know in what world that was. Jeffrey Richards, our producer, bravely brought it. We were not famous, huge kind of headline names at the top. It was a Broadway debut for a lot of us. So it was one of those experiences where we were all like holding hands at the same time, kind of right off the cliff. And another experience when we were like checking that show, I was sitting at the Booth Theater thinking like, if you could tell me this is happening I, I always wish I could talk to that yeah. you know and it's so funny that the, the show I'm in right now TV show Life and Beth Amy Schumer show she does speak to her younger she doesn't speak to her younger self but her younger self is represented in the yeah I've been watching it yeah. and so it just it, I, there are so many moments where I wish I could speak to that person like Sass you're not going to believe it this is going to happen now I'm curious are you also a staff writer on that show no I'm just an actor on the show okay and are you a staff writer on another show? Shrink Next. I wrote on The Shrink Next Door, and then I got to be in it as well. Okay. So that, again, I think you are incredible. Well, so can you, you talk about that process? Because a lot of people sit in imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh, I think I want to write. I think I want to write. But I don't know if I really have a voice. But I don't know if I'm a great writer. Well, you took that, I think I want to write, started writing for yourself, your own things, then started writing for other people. And now it's just a matter of fact that you've written for a show, (laughs) right? So can we talk about those little moments in between? Because those are things to celebrate and be excited about. It's really kind. I am really excited about it. I, funny enough, I was writing at the time I was writing television show and I was developing with, you know, TV. We could do a whole other like four hour podcast of what that means. But developing TV it can mean a few different things. Sometimes you write a show on your own and then a producer or a studio or, or a you and Jake, right? Jake, Jake Wilson and I, like my best friend. And which those are funny, by the way. They're hilarious. Thank you. <laughs> and we, I was talking to him an hour ago and he really, he really makes me like belly laugh when I'm in one of those. Sometimes when I have to be serious, I can't talk to him because like I'll have full church giggles. There's all different sort of versions of it. And then there was a period of time where I wanted to break into possibly staffing into a room. For some reason, staffing on a show felt like it was saying goodbye to actress sass. Like I felt like I was like turning off the lights and, uh, or like saying like good night and good luck. And it hasn't turned <laughs> out to be that way at all. But it did feel that way because it's a time commitment and you're writing. And I didn't know what it was going to be like. It, I didn't know if I was going to feel honestly envy the entire time. Of like, oh, I wish I was saying that or like, oh, on set. And it turned out not to be that experience at all. I have loved the experience. The Shrink Next Door was the first room I was in. And that was once again, I, you know, I always liken it to the same reason I love theater. Being in a writer's room to me feels very much my experiences so far. Uh, they're not vast, but I've had a few. My experiences so far feel like being in a cast. Like you're all in it together. You're all building something together. It feels that sort of secret moment before you, particularly the moment before it airs or before it premieres. And it's just you guys who know mm. these people and have created these people from a page. And I have loved writing in that sense. I can't wait to do another show. Do you see yourself becoming a playwright? 
Oh, that scares me. Wow, imposter syndrome. I don't like that's the one. Like it's like playwright. I don't think I have those goods. <laughs> I think you do, but you are actually about to, or you're in the middle of writing, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, actually, I, Mrs. Maisel like seamlessly took me right into. How did that? Maisel. How did that come about? You know, people like it's it's a large industry, but then there's also like weird crossover. And funny enough, when I was getting into staffing, I had written all these shows, developed them at network. So what that means typically I've taken notes that like a network or a studio has given me. So though the script is mine, there probably would be twists and turns that haven't been exactly what I necessarily would have in mind on the onset. But it's, t- you know, that amalgamation of taking notes and then it becomes sort of a different creation. However, the first script I wrote on spec, meaning I just wrote it myself in my room, typing away, ended up being my sample. So it's like the script that's always sent when I'm staffing. And that script was sent to um, the people at Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I came on for the fifth and final season. Now, did you do some sort of writing program to get you in? Like, that's the part I feel like people listening are going, what's the the connect? How do you be honest? And this is where the imposter syndrome comes, but this is where we're being honest here today. So this is one of the areas issues. Yeah, but I mean, you finish each other's sentences. I mean, obviously, there's something there. And the first scene of the play is kind of like you are off to, you are catapulted into the world. So it's very helpful that we, you know, we speak sort of a language with one another. And I happen to speak very fast and Max does as well. So we have to be cognizant to like not speed up to the point where we're speaking gibberish. You know, I'm fascinated by this backstage and backdoor fans that wait for their favorite performer. And, you know, sometimes the, you know, I was thinking about Dear Evan Hansen, where it became, you know, a a horrible thing for poor Ben Platt, who would have to live through, you know, what he lived through every night and then kind of escape through another way. And then people tweeting these horrible things, you know, about him. What's your point of view on these people that, you know, the show is the thing, right? The show is the thing. But many people now are saying, you know, the backstage experience is the thing. It's sort of both. There's an element to theater because people are live and in front of you and in person. There is an element that like they're giving you so much that you want to give them as well. It's a little different than film and TV where somebody's watching, you know, on a screen and they feel far. But in theater, they feel close. So I think at least in 2015, stage dooring something these people, Jeff and Judy specifically, are looking to have a quick conversation or a special, a particular moment with a woman that means a great deal to them. And Connection. so I, I come to it from there. It's it's less like, hey, let me get the signature so I can sell this playbill or anything like that. This is connection. I need to tell you how much you mean to me. And I do understand that feeling. It's almost that feeling of it's probably happened to me twice when you see like a celebrity or somebody that means a great deal to you specifically and you have to have that moment of I'm so sorry to do this to you but I have been a fan of you since yada 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 I got to have that moment like when was it now I guess 2016 I truly the person that changed my life that made me realize I wanted to do this was Sherry O'Terry yeah of course from Saturday Night Live yeah I was in Orlando I must have been in like Disney World or something with my dad and we he let me stay up late and I got to watch SNL and I really remember everything kind of calming down in my body and thinking like I want 
half the magic of what this person has. I've ne- I never seen anything like it. It was electric. It was funny. She was brave. She was all the things I wanted to be. And it was the thing that made me start doing this. And I started taking an improv class. And although improv is certainly, I'm not claiming to be an improver in any sense, but that was like the first taste of kind of being comfortable in my own skin, taking risks, all those sort of things. And that really started with Sherry O'Terry. And I got to meet her and do something with her, like a little sketch I wrote for Funny or Die in 2016. And she agreed to play one of the roles. And so it was very surreal. She walked into like, you know, the hair and makeup area. And I was trying to keep it cool. Like, you know, whatever, we're we're peers. (laughs) And then I had to just tell her and she was very gracious and very lovely. You know, I love you talking about being brave and taking risks your career has been incredible. So you are a business owner, you're an actor, you're a writer, you're a wife, you're a mom. That's a lot to have on your plate and you do it all well. So I'd love to talk about how it is that you decided to say yes, because there's a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I'm this or I'm that and I can't do something else. But you said yes to all of it. So what's your philosophy behind saying yes to what feels good? Because obviously you did that. And how'd you break through the fear? What a great question. Funny enough, I think depending on who you ask, I don't know if they think I do everything very well. And I don't know if I think I do everything well. Uh, There are certain moments when I don't feel like I'm, I, I definitely deal with imposter syndrome every (laughs) single day. And it's sort of this thing of like, I'm a writer. Like I I own a neon company. Like what? I feel like I'm sometimes doing a Mad Libs game or like I'm just inserting words and they don't really make sense. (laughs) I definitely deal with imposter syndrome. I hope that goes away one day. It hasn't gone away from me yet. I have to be totally honest with that. I'm a mom. Like how did that happen to people I'm responsible for? But each thing kind of organically went into one another. I went to LaGuardia for acting and then went to the University of Michigan for theater and I graduated and I will be honest with you I graduated with this idea of like hey world get ready here I am and then I honestly did not get cast for many many years or I had small jobs and I kind of would build it up to think like this is it this is the moment it's where the plane is taking off I had this version of like what uh, what was going to happen to me that just wasn't reality right writing became originally I was starting to write because I wanted to see I wanted to maybe have roles for myself and that's kind of how I got into it and then it became a different thing where I realized I loved writing like as much as acting and so and, and not writing for myself and writing for other voices and so everything kind of fell into one another but for a very long period of time I was working three jobs at the same time I was teaching children's theater I was waiting tables I was an assistant to a headshot photographer because I really wanted him to take my headshots so it was like let's make a deal that was what was happening there wasn't this idea of like where I kind of fell out and you know Amazon was calling me for to staff on their shows that wasn't how this played out and it's still not how it played out I have this moment every single there's always those gears changing between jobs especially because I wear different hats like those gears always change and I'm like oh I'm putting on a different hat oh god I have to take off that oh I put two hats on at the same time I gotta take off the other hat so that's always happening I do mm-hmm. so much I have so much anxiety. I have so much imposter syndrome. And that's the God's honest truth. I want to talk a little bit about Significant Other. Oh, me too. So that is a magnificent play, which I saw off-Broadway. Josh Harmon's play. Yeah, Jake Wilson, who we were just speaking of. 
basically it was a time in my life I was auditioning. I was not getting roles and I was feeling probably sorry for myself if I'm being honest and like, oh, the thing is, even when you did get the roles, I wasn't feeling the full fulfillment because the job typically Mm. does end. Then I'd be like, oh my God, I'm right back in the pool. And this idea of how I thought it was going to be that like one job was going to still like stepping stone into another job just wasn't how it was panning out. And I did some great gigs, but they didn't sort of have the stepping stone that I maybe thought they were going to have for some reason. And I don't know why I thought that. I just, I did. And Jake called me and he was like, would you want to write a movie together? And I remember being like, I don't know how to write a movie. And he's like, we'll figure it out together. Cut to, I'm using, you know, screenwriter lingo now. Um, Cut to like me truly Googling what happens in a movie, how to write movie or what happens in act one of a movie. I didn't know if you wrote it in Google Docs, if you wrote it in Word, if you wrote it in Final Draft. I mean, I didn't know the basics. And we taught ourselves kind of how to write a film and then did the same sort of thing with television. So there wasn't like a screenwriting class I took or anything like that. I read a lot of scripts. I watched a lot of things. Even now to this day, every single time I'm starting to write a new pilot, there's like two pilots I rewatch because they introduce characters so well. Pilots are notoriously impossible because like you have to set up the stakes, you have to set up the world, you have to set up the people, you have to make jokes. If it's a comedy, it's a lot to do without it feeling like exposition, exposition, exposition. That's why I feel imposter syndrome because I was like teaching myself as I was doing it, which is mm-hmm. wild. My one qualification was I wrote funny emails. <laughs> <laughs> Could you share what advice to young people? Because there are young people that listen to the podcast or watch the podcast. Yeah. And you've gone from being an actor to a writer, back to an actor, to a producer. I mean, you, you wear so many hats. What's your advice? I mean, there are two things that you go back to, and you don't have to tell us what they are. I would oh, love I, to I'm know. But I'm happy I, to share. I write comedy typically, so yes. I always rewatch the pilot of the American Office. The British Office is well is, is incredible as well. I'm just like the American Office explains so well because it's not like a big cosmic event happens in the pilot either. But I think it's pretty similar to the. UK office as well and then I watched the pilot for the comeback Lisa Kudrow show and they sort of kind of like center Veep is a great one to watch as well because there's multiple characters Insecure is amazing there's like certain pilots that just like hit on every single cylinder and those really do it for me and it just like especially when I'm feeling like oh the hardest part of writing anyone who wants to write out there the hardest part of writing is the first word I always, now I want to give credit and now I don't remember who it is. Either I read it or someone told me, you have to think of your first draft like a little elf comes in and writes it for you. And then you come to it later and be like, what is this? Let me fix it. That's how I, like, I think of it every single time. I have to look. I was watching one of the pieces that you did with Jake Mm -hmm. and it made me think, I said, I wonder if she wrote this line and then thought, I'm going to build a scene around it. Mm -hmm. And it was the line about wearing socks with your heels do you remember this like a sock a heel a boot and a something it was it was so funny but so simple and because i've heard writers talk about i'll pull a like i'll just remember one line and i'll get to it later do you ever do that do you go i'm gonna hold this and then i'll figure out how what to do with it if you could see what my like my notes app looks like on my phone because sometimes i and it will jog a memory even on like every day i go to write i'm like 
oh, I have nothing to write about. And I'll look at this notes app and sometimes they make absolutely no sense. And often they usually just like jog my memory of, I ha- and I write it down really quickly. I'll do it in the middle of the night if I wake up from a dream. It's sort of wild what it looks like, but it's always something for me to pull on or remember or like a memory just because you never, what I find funny, and this is why I watch The Office and the comeback so often, is sort of observational everyday humor, not absurdist. It's not typically like, what I vibe with. And so pulling from my life is all, is truly all I got. Or somebody <laughs> saying something really funny to me. I'll be like, Oh, that's good. You know, for me, the comeback is, and I love the office, but for me, the comeback is the most genius show ever written. Because you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the first episode, you get it, you get absolutely everything. And then you're ready to, you know, when I watch it, I just can't watch the first season. I mean, I love season one, but I actually love season two Me better. Too. Oh, my God. Two is just the most in- incredible thing I, I, I've ever seen. And I, I watch it not only because of the writing is so good, but the acting is so good. Oh, my God. And I don't want to give it away, but, like, the last shot of the series, you have to watch it if you haven't watched it. But the last shot of the series is, like, absolutely breathtaking the way it it shifts. I mean, it's just, it, it shows the break your heart and make you laugh. Yep. That's where it's all about. I totally, completely, completely agree. And well, let's. It's the same sort of way for me. I, succession is like an hour long comedy to me. That's how I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it is the best. <laughs> but can we talk about your business? Yes. yes. Let's get to that. About my business. And um, why? Why? Wow. That's a great question. So for those that are listening, yes, I own a neon design fabrication studio co-owned with my incredible co-founder, Lana Imamura, who I also know from childhood, high school, how it came to be, because I'm sure you're about to ask that. I'll give it. Yes, it's coming up. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I know. It's really random. You think me writing is random. Neon's even more (laughs) random. Um, But my nephew was born in 2013, and I really wanted a gift that I thought would be cool that he could keep from like childhood to what I had this dream of like childhood to kids room to teenager to college. I I, I created a play for whatever I was going to give to him. And I thought a neon sign would be really cool. And I thought my, in, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law would love it. And I Googled neon New York city thinking it would yield a ton of results. Another cut to it did not. There was like three websites that came up. They sort of felt really dated to me or like they were designed in, 1982 and it hadn't been updated there was maybe sometimes a phone number at the bottom of the page if I called the number I always spoke to like somebody who has sort of been in the business for a long time and spoke to me as if I knew what I was talking about and I already felt a little stupid so you know the first question was like do you got a junction box Is, you know your GTO is gonna and I had I was like whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa back up like does this plug in is it glass what is it is it safe I, I didn't know what it was it almost felt like you needed to like I went to places that did awnings and bar signage and things that I didn't think they were going to get specifically be able to cater to this and I had a friend from high school who had beautiful neon in her home and I reached out to her I was like would you ever want to make this for me I what's a quote I have no I I have no idea what this costs and she walked me through it in such an incredible way she did these mock-ups where she put it over crib and then over a changing table and I could change the w and you know swap out the color and at the time I was teaching theater to children and I was like I think people would want this like this is a hole in the marketplace 
and we set out and created Nameglow. I, I think we thought best case scenario, this was like an Etsy shop somewhere. I don't think we ever thought this was going to be a full fabrication studio on the Lower East Side. You can come visit, you can come see, you can come feel. Don't touch things too much because they're very delicate, but um, it's a full space and uh, it's female led, which is really super important to both of us and big part of the experience of Nameglow as well. And if you go to Nameglow and if you go to the website, which we put it up, Thank you. you you actually, you break it down for people. So it's, you know, what it's made out of, um, how you do it, what what is entailed, how it's, you know, how the neon is, is made. It's the same thing if you're a client as well. If you come as a client and yeah. Eric's making a piece for his home and we're bending it that day, which is, they're yeah. literally, neon is truly tubes of glass that are bent yeah. over the key to make a shape. We would say, like, Eric, hey, we're bending your piece today if you want to pop by the um, studio. So yeah. like, it's, it's again like lifting the veil on uh, art form that has sometimes seemed very mysterious. Mm-hmm. And because there's a lot of questions it's not inexpensive. It's totally investment. It's totally art. So there's questions like, why is it so much? You know, those kind of questions. And I think if you could see the artistry behind it, mm. like, oh, oh, I see what's happening. You know, there's truly somebody bending this by hand. It is a very specialized skill. Yeah. And you show that on your website. I mean, oh, you I'm show so happy yeah. that. Yeah, which is incredible. It's an incredible video to show exactly how a neon sign is made and how much work and artistry goes into designing even like a, a five letter word. It, yeah. It, it, it's in it's incredible. We tried to make it, you know, bite-sized and digestible, but at the end of the day, it's still a lot of, you know, even when we were picking like 10 fonts to specialize on the website, like it's not like we just like kind of found them and like threw them up there. You have to figure out how each font would work in each material and they all change. So we find we have a lot of information to get out to people and you don't want to give so, you know, when you someone writes you a very long email and your eyes are already crossed, right. we don't want that to happen. So <laughs> it in sound bites, like, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with me? But I have a lot to tell you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what you switched to during the pandemic. Yeah, um, which I thought was brilliant. And as soon as I saw it, I made donations and oh, and, yeah. and wanted to do it. Um, tell us a little bit about what you did. Obviously, you had to close the store. The pandemic came, and nobody's buying neon for. And, and not only is nobody buying neon, we couldn't even make neon. We weren't. Right. We, no, we're not considered. We weren't considered a business essential business that had to be open, exactly. um, and so we were shut down. And so it really became like all hands on deck, particularly with my co-founder of like, how can we have people continue to keep their jobs? How can we have people continue to keep health insurance? How do we keep this happening when nobody is buying things? And I think s- several small businesses would understand this feeling it was all we thought about and it was and on top of that we have a lot of materials and we have a lot of machinery at the space used for neon typically or for plexi if we're cutting it that we realized could be used to make face shields um and my partner lena i was very very pregnant at the time with my second daughter and it was like you know the wild west we did and we were in new york city we never left and my partner lena figured out with a few different companies how to start to distribute and manufacture these face shields. And then once we realized we could do a few, we were like, you know, if people help support it a little bit because we had needed any kind of, we wanted to also continue to pay people at Nameglow, but we were like, if people could support the face shield effort a little bit, we could get it out to more. And then we were able to get them out to tons and tons of hospitals, particularly in time when uh, PPP was not available. Mm. Did you feel very purposed? During this time, yeah, 
that we were all going through this, you know, tumultuous, tumultuous time. Did you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm able to provide a service that is helpful? Well, I, you know, I, I, I just, I felt like we felt like such New Yorkers in that moment. We were both, mm. I can't explain. There was like a moment of like, you roll up your sleeves, like what's needed, let's, how to be helpful. And I think we were all, I mean, I know many of us were at home being like, what can we do? What can we do? And I, I was lucky enough to be able to donate to a bunch of places that I needed to, but to also be able to do something with our space and create something that could help in that moment felt incredible. And like, you know, Lena, every time she would, she would hand deliver half of these things, her partner Yuri would go with her. And, and there was a whole kind of team of people that started to get involved, donate their time. I'll come, I'll come. True bravery. I really give a lot of that credit to Lena. She oversaw that entire experience. Well, I mean, you were eight months pregnant. There wasn't a lot of people that you could be around, but <laughs> no, exactly. how many, do you know how many you made? Yeah, we made a lot. And it was at the time where like, there were no, ma- it, you know, it was like, we needed very it very early on the, I think we were shocked with how many donations we got because at that time there was nowhere people wanted to give. They literally didn't know where because they didn't know how to get these goods to people. Nobody can make them. There was a total shortage. So once we realized like, I think we can use this thing to do it. It was pretty incredible. Mm. Yeah, you got that word out, and we all put our hands in our pockets. You guys got that word out. We got that word out one time, and people, that was a true experience of me realizing that everyone was sort of feeling how we were all feeling. Like, how can I help? Do you need me to, you know, there's that feeling happening. And that's where I go with the New Yorkers. That's like the New Yorker, it like brings me back to like, you know, the idea of like when it, when we're in it, it's like, all right, what do we need to do? How do we mobilize here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think all your friends and even IG followers just, I just kept putting the word out and it just was, and I remember texting you or whatever and being like, okay, I got more. And you're like, we, we don't need any more. At one point we were like, it was only so many of us who could do it. Yeah. And could only allow so many people in the space at the same time. Right, of course. Because of bodies in the space, six feet apart. So it was this wild thing where like it took off and we're like, I think we have to close the, <laughs> close the link. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I'm so lucky. I feel so grateful that we got to have that experience be out there. And yeah, we did it. I want to talk about motherhood. Oh, yes. That was a great cue. I hear my daughter coming in. Oh, good. I can't wait to see Gold. You know, for me, you know, you kind of watch your, the people you admire and uh, on Instagram and, and Facebook or whatever. And uh, you put up some very funny videos of you and Goldie and you and Alice, and um, they're hysterically funny. You know, I mean, that child is yeah, Goldie uh, you is know, a, a product of, you know, the parents. I don't know your husband, but, I mean, his, she is a funny <laughs> young four-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, she... Seems much oh, older than four and a half. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, work and motherhood. Oh, God. You know, I always really look forward to like talking about it because I did feel before I got pregnant and before I had Goldie, I didn't feel like I knew a lot of people who I could speak with, particularly in theater, to be like, how do you do this? I, physically, how do you do it? And the person that was really helpful at the time, I remember running into Celia Keenan-Bolger 
And she had, I think her son was maybe two years old at the time. And she was so willing and so eager and so kind to share information with me. And it was like the only person I could even suss out anything from because it's really hard to do. I am very, very lucky. I have an incredible support system. My family is in New York. My husband's from New Jersey. His family is here as well. So we have like very helpful grandparents. We have an incredible caregiver, Nicole, who this would honestly, this entire operation, like the sink, the ship would completely sink without Nicole Roberts. Nicole Roberts is my sun, moon and stars. And so we do have a lot of help, but it requires a lot of help if you want to continue to do this other part of it. You're constantly feeling guilty one place or the other, you know, there's that never ends. But I do feel like at least my kids have obviously given so much, but there is also, this element of it's much bigger than me, which has been so helpful. They remind me of that. They're, they're, they're quite humbling. <laughs> I love being a mom. I love being their mom. Mm. Two is wild. There is so much comedy that is born out of these two people. They are funny people. I think all kids are funny. You know, I, they're either funny or they're the most annoying people I have ever met in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> but um, they keep us laughing. So you said you had an expectation when you got out of school and started acting. Then you had an expectation when you started writing and it yeah. didn't happen quite like you expected. Did you have an expectation when you became a mother? I had an expectation that at one moment something would hit me that I'd be like, I'm ready to do this. It's now my time to give life. Or yeah, I thought this would kind of happen to me and I didn't have that. Even up until my entire pregnancy, I was like, ay, 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 what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Selfishly, I really liked my life. I liked, you know, I liked doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And I was like, this is all going to change. And I'll be honest, it all did change. For me, it all changed for the better, but right. the priorities shifted completely. And I think I thought that was going to come to me very easily. And it didn't. It was a rocky first few months for me. And I did not expect to deal with that. I really have never dealt with depression in a big sort of way. And I totally had postpartum and I was not prepared for what that experience, that sadness would be like, especially in a moment where everyone's like, how happy are you in bliss? Are you in bliss? Is it bliss? And I wasn't feeling bliss. So this idea of performance bliss, Mm. while also you know, being home thinking like this immediate bond that everyone told me I was going to do. And I, I just remember pumping constantly the breast, everything. I was like, this is, uh, this is hell. <laughs> I remember doing the 20 and I was also speaking to that. I was proving to myself that I was still the old sass. Yes. I remember at one point I was asked to do like the 24 hour plays for at roundabout. And it was like sort of a wild task. Like I, I don't know how I was going to be away from the baby 24 hours. And it was like, she was very, very young, but I was like, I can do this. This is totally, this is what I do. I like, of course I can do this. And I brought my cock to pump to the theater and I was pumping and I, I, I it was like, you know, <laughs> thankfully the, the person that had me for the 24 hour plays was Josh and it was Gideon, but it was also like Leah Delaria who I don't know. And I was like, I I'm going to have to pump right now. I'm so sorry. Like it was just, it was a wild experience. It was one of those things where I was like, you know, you're not going to be able to do everything and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I say yes, which has been kind of gotten me to where I am. Can you talk a little bit about the postpartum depression and how it played in within your artistry and what got you over 
And did the same thing happen with Alice? No, it did not happen with Alice. It only happened with Goldie. Uh, funny enough, but I, I, and I, you know, it's hard for me to really say that because I don't know if I was prepared for it more with Alice. So I kind of knew that like all those things were going to happen. I was really unprepared with Goldie. I think I had gotten so much of like the, it's amazing and, and soak in these moments and it's gonna they'll go by in a flash. And I felt like time truly stood still. And then mm. maybe ended up watching a, you know, a pot of water boil and just it wouldn't boil i remember getting a lot it could like to give you a lot of advice when you're pregnant it's everyone has thoughts for you even if you don't ask them and i remember there being a lot of like you know new yorkers sleeping a little bit more at three months four months whatever it would be and i was like on i was counting down like literally like day three hour four like i was like three months from now feels like absolute eternity and I, I've always considered myself a funny person that's like something i identify with humor it's the way i've found myself i don't know if that's being jewish or whatever it is it's kind of the way we we deal with a lot of pain yes it is and i couldn't find the funny for a while and that was i panicked me (laughs) so Mm -hmm. what what did you do to get over that hump I, I honestly, I, the clouds passed at a certain yeah. point. I remember like it's, and it wasn't like overnight. It was slowly, I think getting a little bit more sleep was, was really yeah. helpful. And I was very scared to be with the baby. It was kind of like, don't leave. Are you going to come back? And I think I resented that I was particularly, I was uh, breastfeeding at the time. So I was, and I, I felt I had to prove to myself something with, I don't even know. I would love to talk to that version of Sass too and be like, throw in the towel like she's not into it you're not into it (laughs) no need to be a martyr here but i i was like sticking to it i had this plan and because this is the only plan i had i wanted to stick with it and it wasn't working she didn't want to do it so i it, it was it was a very lonely experience, and I had a lactation consultant. I remember this come. She was two weeks old. Every time I would breastfeed her, she would scream. I found this lactation consultant for so much money. I was like, this is so crazy, but I it was desperate. I was like, there, she, I have to have it. This right. woman came, and she was like, I don't think this is working for you. And I, it took the lactation consultant to be like, this doesn't look like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's definitely not. I wouldn't say it's fun. And so like that was like the first thing of like, oh, it can look a little different than whatever expectation whatever plan you had it can be different and that's okay see you changed to a bottle you just you just no i actually so i had i mean if you really want to get into my lactation i had a lot of breast milk that's why it was frustrating i was like i have a lot of milk why didn't she drink the milk but she didn't want to latch so i started pumping and then i would go going back to fakakta i would take my pump everywhere (laughs) i took it to california i had to take the breast milk frozen i I was a job i would have to call the hotel and i was like can you clear out the mini bar because i'm going to need to use it to store (laughs) breast breast milk and i would get to like the air delta like on the plane i was like is there anywhere you could put this and they were like ma'am absolutely not so it was just i feel like bear grills in um you know i don't know what that tv show was when like they would like drop him off in like antarctica and he would have like get out of Antarctica or whatever it is but I would travel with like a cooler that looked like somebody who was like going to be going to like the desert and that was me with my breast milk traveling you understand I do (laughs) she does (laughs) yes yes how long until you so you would pump and pump and pump do you think that that is when you stopped breastfeeding yeah her to here without when the clouds kind of lifted yeah 
I mean, the pumping is, I wouldn't say this is an easy commitment at right. all. You're doing it like every four hours and now pumps have come a long way. And there's like some like ones you can go wireless. I didn't have it like that. I had to be like plugged into <laughs> <them. laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was always embarrassing because you would like, and horrible. Like, I, I need a pump. But I was so lucky enough. I worked for two during both those times one was amy schumer and the other was a woman named jamie dembo and they were both so incredible to be like of course go whatever you need and they would take breaks around it but you do feel like a pain in the ass even though everyone's giving you all the allowance to be like of course of course of course i'm aware that sunset's coming like uh, production has to happen so it's you know having kids even just like my daughter walking in right now it's like nothing's ever totally tied together like neatly with a bow and that's I really learned to try, or I'm still learning to try to accept that. I'm a yes. pleaser. I want everyone to be happy. I want everything to be great. And like, that is really something. That was another thing. Wow. Really? This is like a therapy session here. I, <laughs> I, I think I felt a lot of pressure that for my baby Goldie at the time to smile and be kind to people and wave and say bye-bye and do like all the things that I thought that they were going to do. And she just wasn't that type of baby (laughs) she was on to you she was suspicious and i felt this need to like apologize i I was like Uh, passing on my people pleasing shit to her and i think she's not usually like this her nap was shorter whatever (laughs) that's really gone away particularly second time parenthood with alice and i was like i don't know she's not into your dog what can i tell you that's exactly why i asked you about the expectations because with motherhood everything gets turned upside down because if you live your life with the like, I'm doing this on time, I'm doing this on time, I'm doing this this way, then a kid comes and you're like, oh, she's in control, not me. Wait, that was me. I get to change, you know, right? So that's a rephrasing, like I get to change get because to change. most times people think I have, to, have change, to change, right? But it's like, no, I get to change. And that's when... The second one gets all the benefits. Of oh my God, totally. <laughs> today, I had rehearsal today and my wonderful caregiver was not available. So it, my, and my husband was traveling with my other daughter. So like it was a wild day of nobody being around. And my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who don't have kids watched my daughter. Oh, and I nice. was really stressed about it. I was like, I was, I really felt like a balabusta, like a, a Nona in the kitchen, like creating all different <laughs> snacks so that any situation could happen. And she would be prepared. Like we have sweet potatoes for that moment. I have snickerdoodle cookies here. I got strawberry. I had everything going on. And like, I think she was, I left and like, she was fine and all yeah. this prepping and whatever. And she was, when I was here and their dog came, she was kind of being like, eh. and then I left and like, she was so into the dog. It, 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 sometimes it takes you like letting go. Being like, she'll be fine. They'll be fine. People have done this with, you know, millions. They'll yeah. be fine. Talk to me. I want to know a little bit about Mrs. Maisel. Have you, you've started writing, right? Yes. I'm done with my portion of it right now. Okay. They're still writing and they're shooting season five now. Right. So what, what's that like to be in that room? I mean, they have four seasons already and it's such that show just blew up. Wait, yeah, Eric, uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, go ahead. She yeah. just said that, like, we're all supposed to know what the heck that means. What does it mean to say I'm done with my portion of it okay. now? So there's, <laughs> you know, there's a few different ways to write a television show. Sometimes the show doesn't have a writer's room, and it's just one kind of creator or two creators doing the entire thing together. More often than not, there is a facility or a staff of writers that put together a show. Even though it's a showrunner's vision and kind of crafting it all, there are staff writers who help with that. For instance, for The Shrink Next Door, that was a brand new series and it was a mini series. It was a 
just those episodes are the only thing that exists. So we got together and we did 20 weeks or so of writing the entire show, all the scripts, and then they went to film all the scripts. So like they were two separate processes. And often all the writers are not on the set, particularly in COVID times as it's shooting. I happen to have been as an actor in Shrink Next Door. So I got to go on set and it even it wasn't an episode I wrote. So it was like, a total, I was like just an actor, but because I know the show so well, there was other people kind of chiming in the questions and, you know, you put your writer hat on as well. Maisel is a little bit of a different situation because I had not written the previous few seasons. So I had just come on for the fifth season, which is already a well-oiled machine. They know exactly the story they want to tell because it is their final season. They know how they want to kind of bring it home. So we're there to help you know, see that vision off. So there's typically how it worked for us is we did eight to 10 weeks of just in the room, just writers talking through each episode, what's going to happen, how it would happen, it would change, that has to change, that has to change. And then while we're writing it, they start filming it. So that was the first time I ever had that experience. So like, they'll be writing, 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 and then they'll stop to start filming. And then filming will stop for a week for the writers to pick up and start breaking another episode. So they're happening at the same time essentially. Okay. Now, Eric, go. Yeah. No, anyone's watching, this is Perrier and pomegranate juice. So I just want to. Oh, that looks delicious. With a splash of vodka. (laughs) (laughs) This is just Perrier. Okay. So after this, what's it like kind of coming into a room where the people have been working there for a long time and, you know, you are the new girl on the block. Yeah. Um, uh, imposter syndrome kicks in. Why am I here? I, 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 this, it's a huge show. It's a hit. It's all of those things. I have to tell myself I'm here for a reason. I have something to say. And the best advice I can give to a writer is to, if you're ever staffing or like in your first staffing job is speak say things, add to that conversation. That is why you're there. Most other jobs, you know, it's kind of like a watch, learn, get the kind of the feel of it and then add on. But you sort of can't do that when you're in a writer's room. You have to kind of like get what the vibe is really quick and then start to yes and into the conversation. So it was definitely one of those experiences where we were off to the races, much more so than like trust exercises. And like, let me tell you about, you know, there's a lot less, you know, getting to know you kind of vibe. Like you were, right off into it that's so interesting that i love that you say you know you get into the room and you say yes and yes and you know which is exactly what improv is right so you are creating there and you're just saying yes and and adding to the story and making sure that you are speaking up but yeah, that must have been yeah. scary in a way, right? It definitely is scary. And then you'll realize, you know, it's so funny, like this personal stories you tell that are like, oh, this could be used. And what I think when, if once you have your first like little win in that sort of way of like somebody mm-hmm. saying like, that's a good idea. We could use that. And you're not even telling it in a way of a, you pitch typically in a room. meaning like you're tri- right. like what it feels like you're in like a circle essentially. And you're like, what if this happened? But sometimes you're not even having those conversations and you're having just personal conversations about what you should order for lunch and how, you know, what happened last night when you watched the thing and like uh, the plumbing not working and it brings up a story and that story ends up being a weird thing that you can use. And it's always those things that like start to find their way into shows. And we as women, we we're slowly but surely and steadily making our way forward. Mm -hmm. Here you are in a writer's room where years ago it was all men in a writer's room. And you start Maisel this season because this speaks very much to what you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. 
You are the co-owner of a neon sign business. Typically, that's a male space. Mm -hmm. And you advocate for female business owners. Yeah. So please tell me in the, you know, these last few minutes, what if you have words of advice for women who want to be business owners, women who want to step into a space yeah. where it's male dominated, what words of advice would you have for them? I mean, the first thing I can say is people is to support female owned businesses. I really try to do that research, particularly when I am purchasing something or looking for something. I want to support those smaller female businesses. I know as a small business ourselves, those things very much matter. Word of mouth very much matters. So those things have helped. It's all how we built it. So if you're even those things of like when you want to buy something quickly online. If like you can do one extra step of research and see if there's another way to do it, sometimes it's very helpful and it means a lot to those businesses. The other piece of advice is nobody really knows what they're doing up front. And so you kind of have to fall off the cliff. We are constantly being a business owner, being a small business owner at that is a thing of like, is this, is this is how it's supposed to go? That's kind of how we're always feeling. <laughs> figuring out health insurance, figuring out, you know, the PPE loans, figuring out all that sort of stuff was, but then you sort of realize like everyone's doing it at the, everyone is at this part at some point, you know, mm. and, and that camaraderie is the thing you need. I, I'm very lucky that my business was founded with partner. So we get to look at each other when we're like, what the heck are we doing? But try to push through it if you can, because I don't know if it ever goes away. So get comfortable with that because that might always sort of be there. Yeah, I love that. For eight months until he got he married you. I'm dying to know how you stalked your husband. And I did we'll exactly what it said. If his yeah. AIM profile said he was at the gym, I would be at the gym as well. How did you know he was at the gym? Stop it. Hey, I am. It was, you know, it's a little, we're dating myself a little bit. He was really not humored by me. And I found that to be very interesting. Really? Like, funny. He didn't Why? think you were funny. I don't think he thought one way or the other. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, if you're in the theater if you're in theater University of Michigan has like a very big theater very yeah. big musical theater department yeah. he had no idea that there was a theater or musical theater department <laughs> it's kind of like that humbling experience with my kids where they're like alright you know it, it was that but in, in the dating world and I I said in my vows I was like nobody ever thought we would get married but me <laughs> you saw what you wanted and you went after it I did it took a long time it wasn't smooth sailing but now it's you know, 10 years of blissful wedded marriage, whatever that is. Yeah, I love that you put a punchline in your vows. <laughs> oh, there's tons of punchlines. <laughs> I got married this July 31st. Oh, Mazel I, I, I stalked him too. I mean, yeah, do a little uh, stalking. Yeah, I saw what I wanted. I went after it. And now, I'm not interested. I was like, but yeah, you are. 28. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. then 28 years later, we're oh, together. So, I mean, it, it's just, I saw, I saw that. I saw yeah. And I was like, I want that. 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 Yeah. And I went after it and I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear? Okay. <laughs> What's your hope for, you work a lot off Broadway. I mean, obviously you made your Broadway debut and I saw you on Broadway and I saw you off Broadway. You know, it was the same show. It was just bigger. What's your hope for the theater when we, you know, hopefully a year from now when we're all able to kind of sit together in the theater and the lights go down and we're either seeing you or you're watching something and, and whatever. What, what's your hope? I hope that we give space and room for new voices to come to the theater because I, I literally have learned so much just watching theater. So I hope yeah. 
there's more opportunities to do that with stories we have not heard in any yeah. capacity. And then as audience viewers, go to the theater, wear yeah. a mask, wash your hands, buy a ticket if you can. If not, there's, you know, most particularly off-Broadway theaters have reasonably priced seats at any yep. of this. It just takes like a little bit of effort to do. A tiny um, bit. But come, I know for which way to the stage, I just was told that the mezzanine and the front row are all $30 tickets. And so come to the space if you can. And if you can't, write me and let's see what we can do. Oh, yeah. Yes. I will be there. I can't wait to be there. I'm sitting in the front row. Oh, come see uh, you afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see it. To me, you're surrounded by this incredible light. Oh. You're funny. You have a heart of gold. I know we've not actually met, but we have this little relationship on Instagram Kismet. where we direct message each other. And I just think you're one of the million. Oh, God, and thank you so much. I think you're writing and you're acting and everything about you, your motherhood, your business, everything. I just, I adore you. Well, I can't wait to disappoint you when we meet in person. (laughs) (laughs) We already have that connection. We got the Jew connection. So, you know. Next year in Israel. Yeah, exactly. Next year in Israel. I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for. Thank you you so much for chatting with me in my bedroom. I really appreciate it. I love it. Where's Goldie? Let's get her. She's sleeping. It's eight o'clock at night. I, I'll okay. be so upset if her face is outside there right now. When I <laughs> okay. God bless you, Joy. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, Sass. Thank you. We'll Sass. see you at the theater. Mm-hmm. Don't wait. Don't forget the which way to the stage at MCC Theater. Don't also forget the Shrink Next Door and Amy Schumer's new series, Beth. Life and Beth, and the fifth season of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This lady right here is writing. So <laughs> thank you all so much. And Good thank night, you, everybody. Sass. That's our show. On Monday, March 28th, Joy and I will interview the amazing Elizabeth Marvel. Elizabeth portrayed Mark Anthony in the public theater's production of Julius Caesar in the Park. She has won four Obie Awards in her off-Broadway work, most notably for the title role in Ivan Van Hove's 2004 production of Hedda Gabler. That was amazing. She also received a Drama Desk nomination for her performances in 50 Words. The following Monday, April 4th, Joy and I will interview Kelly Gerard. Kelly is also an Obie winner as the founder of the Fire This Time Festival. She was recently named Director of New Works at the legendary Apollo Theater in Harlem. Information about all of our upcoming guests, as well as how to attend one of our online recordings, like tonight, can be found on our website, liveatthelortel.com. Thank you for joining us. Theater is open, so go book your tickets now and see a show. Wear a freaking mask. Get a vaccination. You won't believe how wonderful it is to be back in the theater. To go to the theater to see an artist like this woman right here. Mm -hmm. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Have a wonderful night. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. Especially thank you, Sass. Thank you, uh, Joy. Good night. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, executive producer yours truly, and associate producer Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolak, GoGo Public Relations. And special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Candy Samuel, Mata Levinas, 
Carla Liriano, and Ellen Chan. Live at the Lortel Sound Engineer and Mixer is Brian Falk at Abacus Entertainment. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>